Welcome to the Circles Off podcast. Rob Pizzola here, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. You might have noticed a name change since last week where we opened with the At Odds with uh, podcast. At Odds, is that what we called it, Johnny? It was just At Odds, right? At Odds. At Odds, which we've since learned is like the most overused podcast name potentially ever as we searched it. There's at least like three other at odds podcasts. I thought it was a clever name. I actually still really like it, but kind of looking for something more unique. So we're going to go with circles off, which might resonate with maybe 5% of the betters out there. Less than that. Well, we're going to, we're going to go with circles off right now, but who knows yeah. what's going to happen next week. Somebody might say this is a horrible name, so we're going to switch it up um, or something. But actually, you know what? If if you do have a, a suggestion for a name, uh, just hit me up on Twitter at Rob Pizzola or hit up the Betstamp account at Betstamp. Um, and potentially, we might consider switching it up again until we find something that really works. I like this, though. I like Circles Off. Like, it doesn't exist, at, at least on the quick Google search that I did. So, Well, should uh, we explain to the to the listeners? who may not know what it, what we're talking about here, what it is. Sure. Go for it. Okay. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a thing of the past at this point, but essentially circles off is when the sports book, um, opens up the limits for their bets. So if you're talking about, let's say a market like hockey or NHL, then overnight it's called overnight lines. There'll be some sort of circle, usually a red circle right next to the odds on the website. And uh, that indicates that the odds are being offered at a lower bet limit. So you can't bet as much as you will be able to the next day. And then, you know, at some point in the morning, uh, time varies by day and by sport, the circles come off and then that's considered, you know, open market. And it's typically a time when a lot of professional bettors or sharper bettors would go attack the market because it's the first time they can start betting a lot uh, at those lines. Anything to add, Rob? No, it's a good explanation. It's kind of like, like you said, it's kind of like extinct now. I, I think Bet Online is the only book still with circles, at least like in their UI. Um, I could be wrong on that. I, I mean, I'm sure someone else has circles out there, but it's like something that's always you'd be waiting for in the mornings, right? You're just like constantly refreshing to to see those circles disappear, so you can get uh, whatever bet size you want at that point. So. Uh, I, I like it. We're going to go with this for now until somebody says it's a horrible name and then maybe I'll reconsider next week or something like that. But uh, we we got the name out of the way. So we'll get into some content uh, now. Obviously, uh, football's done for a few months. Uh, I mean, at least some interesting off-season stuff has happened already, uh, which has allowed me to take a look at some futures markets. We had the Carson Wentz deal. We've had the Matt Stafford, Jared Goff deal. I like when there's a big shuffles in the off season. So potentially we'll do something uh, down the road on, on looking at those markets. But with uh, football being done, we're going to kind of shift into some other sports. And um, with hockey being my passion and, and bread and butter, I would say is a better and uh, Johnny is a, a fellow Canadian. Uh, we thought we would start to take a look at some more unique markets, I would say, Um and our process in finding edges in those markets. Uh, so first period, uh, NHL totals has something that's been hot for the last couple of years. And this started with 
Ken Barkley, uh, Lockie Lockerson on on Twitter. If anyone wants to follow follow him, who has really brought this to the public forefront, I would say a couple of years ago when he was posting first period totals and built quite a following of people tailing him, and he was just absolutely crushing it. Um, and there was a lot of people like wondering whether it was pure luck. And when I say a lot of people, I'm I'm referring to myself, um, or wanted to look deeper into it. Um, so Johnny, I'll ask you first period totals just in general. Uh, is, is this something you've taken a look? I know you're a props guy in, in general, and, and I know you, you look for unique betting situations because you can find edges there. Is this something you've ever explored? So this particular market is, is not something that I've played in, in the past. Um, and I can talk a little bit about why. So when I, I mean, this is a great chance for a good combo here on how we actually evaluate when we're looking at something. So when I'm looking at a market, for example, like NHL first periods, um, what I'm first, first, most importantly trying to look at is how is this market being uh, shaped by the bookmaker and or by the betters? So when I'm looking at it um, and I look at the NHL first period market, I think there actually is potentially some edges to explore, but it was a little bit beyond uh, what my kind of skill set and time that I had to put together um, was it, it wasn't really going to be worth it for me. So when I look at this market, I know it's a straight derivative market, which means this is just being shaped based on the total of the game. So the NH, like the first period spread or the first period total is essentially just a breakdown from the game and it's, it's cut in three or some sort of variant of that. So, so from there, I think Rob, like this is a great discussion. Like I have looked into what I, I know what I would do to attack this market if I had more time to spend on it. Um, but I think we should probably break that down for everyone and just talk about in a market like this, not even specific to NHL first periods, but what are we looking at when some, when we find something like this, we know it's a straight derivative market, what's not factored into this line, what is factored in and where can we potentially find a net So. Yeah. So, so what I'm always looking for is, I guess what you would call an item of variance. So what could potentially happen in the first period that is very different from the rest of the game? Uh, and I, I think the common mistake that I see a lot of people make, and uh, I, I see this all over Twitter all the time, where people are posting over under trends from the first periods in general. Like this team is, is 12 and one to the over in the first period over the you know first 13 games of the year. And it's like, okay, but like look into the underlying metrics a little bit, right? Because this is a sport, especially hockey. Uh, I mean, all sports have some element of variance and, and randomness, but um, like goals can just be fluky at times, right? You might have a team score three goals in the first period on half an expected goal uh, or something or vice versa, right? Where they generate a lot of chances in the first period, but didn't score. So rather than just taking the actual result, the first thing I would do is look at underlying metrics for teams in general. Do they play at a faster pace in the first period? Um, do they generate more expected goals or more high danger scoring chances or more shots? Um, any, you know, in the first period versus, uh, over the course of an entire game. So that's kind of like, I think the, the starting point is, does a team play differently out of the gate than they do over the course of an entire game? And, and I think with a lot of teams in the NHL, the answer to that is actually yes. And it's why there is an edge that exists in this market 
um, because like you said, the bookmaker is just taking a derivative of the full game total, assuming that whatever the pace is going to be at one point in the game, it's going to be the same pace throughout. And that's not exactly the, the correct logic to apply to that. Yeah. So I like what you said there, Rob. If if it's a straight derivative of the game, what, what that means for some of the listeners that might be a little less experienced is all of the bookmaker is doing in making this market is taking, so let's say the total for the game is six. Then what they're saying is, you know, two goals projected in the first, two in the second, two in the third, or roughly. And I mean, it's going to vary by game and there's going to be some sort of formula that they put in there, but roughly that's what they're looking at. What, which means anything that's factored into the full game line is factored into the first period line. So what Rob is doing a really good job of discussing here is if you want to find an edge on this market, you need to find a discrepancy between how a team acts in the first period versus how a team acts over the course of the full game. So I have a couple lists of things here, Rob, that I wanted to ask you, and you can let me know what, what your thoughts are on them. So first and foremost, what, one thing that I, and I mean, this is something that I just, I think of at the top of my head. It's not anything that I have like real data or anything behind, but there's got to be some sort of edge involved in the usage. So the line combinations that teams might trot out in different game situations. So tied versus, you know, down to nothing or down five, nothing. Right. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you think you might be able to evaluate that? Well, for sure. I think one difference between, um, you know, a full game versus just the first period alone is that coaches are more likely to, to use all their lines earlier on in the game relative to later in the game if they're chasing chasing a lead or or if they're ahead. Now, I think one thing that one specific item that you touched on in there is very interesting and it's it's worth noting is is game state. The first period the game starts 0-0. It's a tied game. You know, you have a, a pretty large sample of each team of how they play in in what's called a neutral game state. Um where some teams are much more willing to press um or open things up when the game is close versus when they are leading uh, or when they're trailing, you know, they'll play a lot differently. Uh, Like I can think off the top of my head and there maybe a lot of people are not familiar with hockey teams in general. They don't follow the sport, but the New York Islanders would be a great example of a team that if they're leading in a game, they're going to completely shut it down. They're not really looking to score anymore or add to the lead unless it's like a clear cut odd man rush or something along those lines, but it's more so of a very trap style game Let's get the puck out. Uh, And what that really does is reduces scoring chances. And because of that, you tend to see New York Islanders full game totals be very low. But conversely, when they're playing in a neutral game state to start and they're not really coming out of the gates in that specific style as if they're they're holding a lead. Um, So I think just looking at it on a team by team basis and saying this is a team, this is how a team plays in a neutral game state versus other situations might give you a lot of indications as to whether you're going to see a more open style game in the early going or more of a close type of game in the early going. Interesting. So, I mean, it makes sense because I mean, I'm a big Leaf fan. I know you are as well. Oftentimes it seems like teams might take a little bit too long to shorten the bench as they call it in hockey, which is, you know, playing your, your better lines. Like, why are they keeping Matthews on the bench? So like, why are they giving him as much usage? And it really, you know, only until the game gets into the third and then it's like, Oh, panic time. We're down. Let's put out our better players. So, I mean, that 
for sure, whether it happens, you know, if, whether it's a bias by the coaches or whether they know they're doing it on purpose or not, that's something that typically happens a lot. And you can just see that without having to, um, you know, have a spreadsheet out with all of the numbers. But if you wanted to take advantage of this market, I think that might be a good place to start is to try to model out the usage and see which teams have significantly underutilized their better players in the first period versus the rest of the game. And that be that may be somewhere you can find an edge. Rob, what about what about the referees? So calling a penalty earlier versus later. I think this this might actually be one of the the biggest factors that isn't accounted for, because I, I do think that, and I, I'm speaking kind of out of my ass here a little bit in that I I haven't done a deep dive into referees, but just being a hockey fan, I do think that there is a fairly large percentage of referees who are whose definition of a penalty changes in the third period versus what it is in the first period, for example. Um, this tends to happen as the as the year goes on as well, where games, quote-unquote, mean more um, and points are more important, where the, the refs will kind of swallow their whistles later in games, but they'll be more likely to call that penalty that they wouldn't have called late in the game early on in the game. And again, when you're taking a full game total later in the year and assuming an equal distribution across periods, but in one period, you're way more likely to get penalty calls than in other periods, then that opens up an edge on, on the overs. Um, so, so for sure, I, I definitely think that there's something there. Um, and, and like, this is just the broad point, right? It's like, what, what could possibly be happening differently in the first period uh, versus over the course of an entire game that is worth investigating. And I would 100% say that officiating could I mean I don't want to say it has the biggest uh is the biggest factor but I mean it has to be a massive factor yeah and I mean that's probably going to be different for for different referees as well so if you can get a data set that has um you know maybe referee penalty calls or some sort of metric that you may be able to blend together based on the referees penalty calls in different you know arenas on different teams um also when looking at that and trying to evaluate that you can't just take a blanket referee, one one referee, and say, oh, this referee is this much above the mean, so I think he's going to call more penalties this game. You also need to kind of pair that and say, he's he's not going to call the same amount of penalties across the league for different teams. So there's some teams which you know don't take a lot of penalties and don't draw a lot of penalties, and then there's other teams at the end of the spectrum. So if you can find a chart, and there's a ton of stuff out there right now that show you know which teams have the most expected penalty minutes, drawn the most penalty minutes, and taken – there's some teams that are quote unquote bullies, which are, you know, in the, the upper right corner of the spectrum. And then there's other teams like the Penguins, for example, which are, you know, not low on both drawing and taking penalties. So these might have, you know, a lesser impact. And, you know, when evaluating this market and saying, yeah, I want to bet first periods, I want to experiment, I want to test this out. Another thing you really need to do is, you know, you don't have to bet every single game right? You can pick your spot and say, all right, my angle is going to be the usage and the referees. Now, for example, Pittsburgh doesn't matter or Pittsburgh matters a lot because they're here and here. And as Rob mentioned, you know, the Islanders, they're the key team in terms of usage. So you can pick and choose your spot and you, you only need to bet the games that involve, you know, the two teams that might be on either end of the spectrum. That way you can help, you know, quantify your edge a little bit more and build in that cushion. What do you think, Rob? I completely agree. I mean, uh, I I think just with any market like this, you're trying to 
you're trying to remove luck as a, a factor as much as possible. So that's why I would always encourage looking at underlying metrics. But really, there's a lot of ways to test different hypotheses, right? I mean, even just talking to you about this now, Johnny, like one thing comes into my head is first periods um, off of different rest situations, like whether a team's been off for six days or whether they played the day before. I'm, I'd be positive that there is some sort of impact um, on, on a, how a team performs early on in a game based off of what the rest situation looks like. Now that's accounted for in the full game line because obviously anyone who's betting a game is going to account for rest situation, but it could be completely different for the, the effect could be completely different for a first period than it can be for the duration of entire game. And like we said, with the way that bookmakers are making that market, they're kind of just, they're taking that derivative from the entire game. So there could be something from that point of view. There could be something from specific goaltender point of views. Um, in general, you don't have, you know, huge samples on goalies for the most part, but there's enough in the league where you can look through a sample size and say, you know, this person's uh, goal saved above average is well below their, their, you know, it's what it's much worse in the first period than it is in the second and third, or conversely, it's much better and they get off to faster starts than uh, other goalies and things of that nature. So, um, this this doesn't like what we're talking about doesn't just apply to NHL first peers. We just use that as an example because it's something that's top of mind for me right now. But any market that's like this, where you can you can dig into something um, that is like an outlier, so to speak, or or where that a performance in a smaller time span can differ largely from a performance in a in a longer time span. You can investigate all sorts of these things, and while limits are tend to be small, and and that's kind of a reason that I don't focus on this market a whole ton. There's there's money to be made there because there's not a lot of professionals focusing on on these a whole ton. So uh, I think there's there's a, so much creativity and and so many different uh, angles and and thought processes you can get into. But I would just you know be weary of looking at trends. Uh, anything of like this team is has done this well and you know this many overs or unders in the first period over some arbitrary game number and i would be very weary of just looking at strictly goals and instead start to back that out and start looking at expected goals shot volume chances things of that nature to to really derive your edge well said rob and then i mean before we move on i have to i, I can't move on without saying this last point is like the, the easiest way to increase your edge in this is also going to be to line shop from book to book. There, these markets are typically going to be a higher hold than the regular game, right? So you're not going to be able to bet into a small hold. You're going to need to bet into in all likelihood, like at the minimum minus one ten aside, and in some in some sports books, it's going to be minus fifteen aside or more. So you really need to line shop around and see if you can cut this into a spot where you're only betting into, let's say, a total of ten cent hold in which case you have a shot to kind of overcome a few percent VIG. If you're betting into the minus 120, minus 120, even factoring in a lot of the stuff that we we said, it's it's going to be very seldom that you're going to overcome and have like a 10% edge, for example, on some of these things. So, uh, you know, just overall, this goes with anything, not just these markets, but you need to line shop and find the best price if you're going to originate or if you're going to try to even experiment with any single edge you possibly have. I mean, if, if you're not price sensitive, you're, you're really hurting yourself in the long run with this. I mean, I'm sure this is going to be a topic of conversation every single week where we talk about price sensitivity in general, but 
like if your if your goal is to make a long term profit, you you, you want to find the best price available to you. It's no different than if you had the same product on on a shelf at a grocery store, the exact same product at five different prices. You're gonna to want to take the one that's cheaper and go to the checkout line with that. It's absolutely no different than a real life situation. So, uh, completely echo that. I I I don't think I can say that enough. Just in general, of getting the best of the number and uh, that being a huge factor in long term success for betters. Yeah. So, obviously, guys, we're just starting off here, and we're trying to you know put together some entertaining content that's also you know, hopefully valuable and can help people with, you know, the thought process and finding edges in sports betting. So, uh, this is, you know, I guess we'll call it the NHL first period discussion, how we find an edge in that. But if there's any feedback for us on the style, uh, of the podcast or anything like that, feel free to, you know, drop a comment, send either of us a DM. And if there's anything that you, you know, think might be factored into these lines or might not be that you've been working on, you want to touch base about it or open the discussion, you know, send us a message for that as well. We'll be happy to connect. For sure. I, and I, I think down the road, uh, you know, Johnny and I have talked about this offer as well. We'll be getting some guests on down the road as well to talk about these markets specifically, uh, ones that we know excel uh, in specific markets that can give, uh, I guess, less generalized tips and more actuals in terms of how to beat them, uh, which I, th- I think I mean, that's, that's only a positive for betters who can hear from other betters that are, are skilled in, in one area and, uh, have, have shown, a um, the ability to beat a specific market. All right, let's switch gears here into uh, a different topic, but, um, one that I'm very opinionated on, and I think you have some strong opinions on Johnny as well, but, um, the, the tout industry in general and the conversation I want to have here, um, is one that can kind of protect the pick buyer in general. Um, I have personally managed a tout site in the past um, for a year. I've learned a lot of things from that experience in general. Um, and one thing that I've learned is that there's always going to be a market for people to buy picks, regardless of how many times you tell them, uh, it, you know, buying a pick is going to. Uh, decrease their likelihood of being a successful better in the long term, just because now they have to overcome the VIG from the sports book plus their pick selling cost. Um, there, there's just a, a numerous reasons that there's always going to be this industry. People are lazy in some cases. Uh, people want um, someone else to be on the same side of them so that they just have that like sense of, uh, you know, certain, I don't want to say certainty, but, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. I'm horrible with the English language in general. But what I want to talk about here is how to identify a fraud tout. Uh, specifically, what factors we would look for. Something that would catch our eye t- that would immediately say to us, this person is not a winning better. There is no reason anyone should ever buy picks from them. Uh, n- and just before we get into it, there's a lot of different schools of thought on buying picks. I am not I am not in the boat of you should never buy picks. I think a lot of people say that because they do want to protect the buyer and protect the better. And because 99% of pick sellers are losers in the long run and they're not doing you a service. Um, I don't know if you agree on that or Johnny Johnny or not, but we can we can talk about that further. But I, I, I'm okay if people want to buy picks. But there are specific things that they should look for from a pick seller. And 
let's get into it a, a little bit uh, here, Johnny, because I know you have some opinions on this as well. But let, let's start with you. We can kind of go back and forth here with things that immediately set off alarm bells, uh, red flags that you might see from a tout where you would say there is no way that this person wins and there's no way anyone should give this person any money. Okay. Well said. Uh, we'll kick it off. I think I have one thing that I always ask. And I mean, I think, I think I could probably identify, you know, at least 90%, probably 99% of people who, you know, bet on sports. I can identify if they win or lose with just one simple question. And it's a layered question with a bunch of follow-ups, but what I would like to ask and what I would encourage everyone to ask somebody who is, you know, betting sports that is claiming they're a winner is what sports book do you bet at or where do you bet? Asking a question like that, I truly believe can eliminate, you know, like I said, upwards of 90% of the, of the people selling picks or the people who are, you know, betting for a couple of reasons. And that is most people don't, aren't really aware that there are a bunch of sports books that are graded as recreational sports books. And they, they do limit players who win at their sports book. So if, and I, I don't want to call out any specific sports books or anything like that, but if you're talking to a person and they say, you know, I bet at this sports book right here, I, I've, I've always bet at this one sports book and this is where I bet and I win, I've been cleaning up and I'm up this many units and this many percentage and, you know, 10 and 0 my last 10. If they bet at a sports book that is a recreational sports book and doesn't take action from winners and limits betters who, you know, have even a slight pulse of being a winner and this person can still bet at that sports book. And that's all you need to know that that person's a loser. And this goes with, you know, you don't even have to ask people sometimes because a lot of these people do post screenshots from that book. So if they have a screenshot posted somewhere in their Twitter, somewhere on their Instagram profile, or if they're kind of, you know, touting a record based on like, look at this big win, look at this parlay cash, something like that. It's, I mean, it's really, really tough to, to win long-term at one of those sports books and stay alive. So that would be your number one red flag. Yeah. I, I think you're kind of towing the line there and not wanting to mention sports books. And I, I completely get it, I, but I'll just give an example that, and we used to see this a couple of years ago, quite a bit on, on Twitter, especially. And now this is transferred to other social mediums like Instagram and so on and so forth. But the, I don't know if you remember this, Johnny, but like the old five dimes screenshots, where the guys, you know, would post screenshots of hundred thousand dollar plays at at five dimes, and it was like, okay, either five dimes is giving you a one hundred thousand dollar bet, which means that you are a horrible better. Like they consider you to be a square if they're giving you a bet size that large, or this is a fraudulent screenshot in general. Like there's no way, like not even having the common sense to not post that image is a dead giveaway. And I mean, we, we see it time and time again, where it's just like, there's no way you're getting that amount down at this specific sports book. If you are, it is because you are that, that sports book has profiled you as a losing better plain. And yeah. Simple. And it, it's not just about this particular sports book, any huge amount screenshot that's all on one screenshot is a red flag because anyone who's betting for real and trying to maximize their embedding is not betting at one out. So if, if you told me, Oh, how much did you have on, you know, this particular game? Um, I can't show you one screenshot because that one screenshot is going to be a fraction of what I actually got down on the game. I'm trying to get down at, you know, 
a book a b c d e f there's no way that my entire stake is coming from one and even if it is in some cases it's going to be whatever the max bet is for that site it's in, it's almost impossible to get a max pop that's above what that book is taking unless they've per like purposely graded you as a recreational player or a whale player who they want to take from. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a few exceptions to that in general, but for the most part, it's a, it's a fairly good rule. Like I, I there's the, um, abnormally distributed guy on Twitter who I think like came up in some poker forums or something. I don't really know his full story, but I'm fairly confident that that guy wins and he's only betting at bookmaker like max max limits at bookmaker and that's his only out and he just doesn't really care to line shop but he's got enough of an edge there to win fine but i mean just in general there's not too many of those people that exist and i I do agree that most people are spreading at least most pros that have an edge are spreading their action uh, a little bit all over the place so uh, i think in general that's a good rule of thumb the one thing that stands out for me like and it's a fairly obvious one but maybe for those listening they've kind of fallen into the trap of somebody, you know, tailing somebody who's only posting the record. Like this is the immediate number one red flag for me. Someone who only posts a record without accounting for units or an ROI. And in that same vein, someone who posts picks, public picks, without including the line of the game. This is the absolute, like, pet peeve of mine just in general but for someone to say you know i'm taking bucks plus three and a half in the super bowl well like that's minus 125 minus 130 like that's just not a a minus 110 minus 105 play so so again it's misleading to people in general a lot of people will get away with that because they're not record keeping which is probably a sign that they're not actually betting the play that they're putting out anyways uh but you're always going to want to look for someone who is posting a full record. Uh, that includes like actual grading, just as you would be graded if you made a bet at a sports book, right? Um, so for me, that's number one red flag right there, Johnny. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one as well. I mean, if people are posting, you know, Tampa Bay Bucks and they don't give out the price, then that's the biggest free roll you can possibly give give somebody, right? Because everyone knows that this game, it's all about getting good numbers and getting good prices. I mean, I think between both of us, like, you know, I don't have an opinion on a game as far as like, unless you can give me what the price is, right? If I'll, I would gladly bet both sides of any game at the right price. So yeah, posting without the price is one that I could see why that would be a big pet peeve for you. It's something that, I, I mean, you don't see it too, too often, but uh, that's pretty brutal. Well, you see it during NFL season a lot, like buying points. You'll see someone someone will post like Kansas City Chiefs bought half a point. Okay, tell me what what you bought. Like, what what was the price you paid for that? Uh, I want to know. I mean, that's just in general, like common sense logic type of stuff. You know, people saying, um, you know, I've seen this with touts in general, but like, I'm on the Pistons tonight. Okay, on at what number? Like that that makes a difference for other betters because you could say you're on the Pistons at plus seven. And the line is now five or five and a half. And why would I bet that uh, as an example? So that's the kind of stuff that like full transparency uh, and like someone who can't even recognize that they should be posting the prices on their game is not worth tailing in general. No, absolutely not. And now as as far as we're rapid firing, how about this one? Uh, Touts or people who post their record and then say, 
all plays minus 110 to minus 150. Nothing above minus 150. <laughs> As if that's a that's a sin to bet above a certain odd set or above a certain odds range and they don't really know any better. But there but there are people out there that do believe that. Like um I I bet hockey professionally. Right? I mean, we talked about this in the first half uh, of the show, but I posted like a a minus 200 loser a couple years ago where I got bombarded with people like how could you ever lay minus 200 in a hockey game? Uh, and they're like showing me historical trends of like minus 200 being a, a negative ROI. And st- it's like, yeah, but this individual game, like the price should have been minus 240 and I got minus 200. Like, why would I not take that? This happens in baseball too. I see it all the time. Like people are like, I never lay more than minus 160 in a baseball game. It's like, why? I mean, b- b- why? Because historically, like laying that more than minus 160, if you bet every single team that's more than minus 160, you're a net loser. This is one specific game that falls into like, uh, you know, negative ROI long term. But like if, if a team's minus 160 and they should be minus 200, like who cares? Like bet, bet it. I, I, I die of laughter when I see that kind yeah. of stuff too. It's just yeah, like- and You can always just adjust your staking. It's not like you have to bet. You should technically be betting more on heavy favorites if you want to correctly stake. But I mean, people get crazy they say like well if it's minus 200 i'll either bet the puck line or the run line or the minus one and a half and then or or i I put it in a parlay only i don't bet straight bets above minus 200 which again like rob's saying we got to debunk that like that's not smart at all you should be betting anything i i bet a ton of super bowl props for this year and and i had props that were minus a thousand minus 1500 like there's other factors to consider when betting those um because they do tie up you know majority like they tie up some more of your capital and stuff like that but all in like those are where i actually find the biggest edges percentage wise so there's nothing wrong with lane minus 200 as long as your implied price is somewhere below that but uh but yeah any any touts or anybody who posts saying like you know no plays above this amount (laughs) and and i think you know you know i think they do that is because a lot of people do post minus 200s and then they just tout the record instead of the actual units and the ROI and anything like that. So they might be, you know, 10 and 6. They're trying to legitimize, they're they're trying to legitimize themselves because of uh, like on the backs of other fraud totes, essentially. You're completely right. Like if you notice that a lot of other totes are posting um, all these big favorites and only keeping track of their record and not the units as a whole, you kind of want to legitimize yourself in some sense. But the reality is I don't care what numbers you're playing if you're showing me the units and the ROI of your plays in general. Um, So I fully wholeheartedly agree with you on on that one. Um, For me, another one, this one makes me laugh. Um, I, I don't really care about calling out shitty touts in general so I'll, I'll i'll give an example people know that i have like a public beef with him anyways i don't i don't care but um sp- spread investor is like very guilty of this one spread investor to me is one of the biggest fraud touts out there just in general but like anytime someone blames their losses on like their handicapping style and and says like they need to work harder like I need, to, if only I capped a little bit harder, we we would have had a better week. Like I, we could have managed a winning week. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like I, I die of laughter when I see like these bet recaps and it's like, you know, I got to own up to this. I, I, it's, you know, we had a losing week. I'm owning it, but like I'm committed to working harder. And 
it's like, what are you working harder on? Like, I, I don't know. You gonna crunch the the trends a little bit more? Are you gonna dig deeper into the weather on the games? Like, these are all things you should already account for. So, where where is the harder work coming into play? And and I realize that the way I bet games is very different from from others. And you know, I, I model the games. I bet my edges. It's very mathematical. I don't think that's the only way to win at sports betting. I do think that there are people that can handicap games and have a long-term edge. I've seen it before, but those people know specifically what to look for that isn't accounted for in the line already, just in general. And I die when I see, and like, he's the guy that comes to mind. So I call them out by name, which I don't care, but there's a lot of people that are like that, right? It's like, oh, week in review you know, I could have I could have laid off of these plays and been a little bit smarter about it. You know, had I known this, had I known that, I need to work harder. It's like, what, what kind of joke is this? I need to say, oh, I slept in on Saturday. Had I had I woke up at eight oh, a.m. instead I, of nine? Exactly. I, oh, I I die at those ones, right? Like I'm gonna get up a couple hours earlier every day. It's like, why? I mean, for all I know, you'd be better off sleeping a couple hours more every day and recharging your batteries or something like that. But, um. No, that stuff is the kind, like when you see th- that stuff, like quite frankly, I don't have a better word to say it. it. It's just bullshit, right? I mean, this is, it's all fluff. Like, um, so, I mean, look out for that in general. When when someone's talking about the, how they got to change their process based off of a week of results, by the way, which could just completely be random variants, um, then I would all of a sudden be like, this person has no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, at that point, it's it's very likely that there's a lot of people just coin flipping and, you know, they're going to have good weeks and bad weeks. It's not going to really matter whether they wake up an hour earlier, whether they, you know, drank, uh, you know, green tea versus uh, neural gray tea that morning. So <laughs> uh, I, I do want to also talk about, you know, the people who are doing it a little bit, you know, more uh, morally and doing some good work, even though they're selling picks to make an extra, you know, a bit of money on the side. I think one really good thing to look for is, is anyone selling picks who is keeping a proper record and who's like going above and beyond to make sure they're tracking advanced metrics. So something like closing line value, if, if there is a tote who, you know, there are multiple that I know that are tracking their record and tracking their ROI, tracking the, the bet timing, the closing line value. And in doing all these things, I mean, listen, if you want to buy the picks from them, that's still your call and it's going to depend on a variety of factors for you. But in doing all those things, uh, they're definitely able to, you know, come off a little bit better and, and give a sense that they do know what they're doing. If you're consistently beating the close, uh, you're consistently moving the market and you're honest and accurate with your record keeping, then, you know, that's a product that, you know, is, is out there in the marketplace and, you know, should have, you know, a bunch of subscribers and I, and I'll, and I'll always admit that. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I, I did the matchbook podcast with uh, Fabian Sommer this year, um, German NFL handicapper, uh, who I, I didn't really know much of him prior to this year, just in general, other than a, a few back and forths on, on Twitter. Uh, I, I don't mind like using him as an example. I'm, for full disclosure for people out there, I, I, w- I would call Suma a friend of mine now after uh, NFL season and being able to converse with him on a regular basis. But like, to me, there's full transparency in everything that he does. For one, he's never going to release a pick unless it's available at one of the sharp sports books. That's either Bet Chris slash Bookmaker or Pinnacle. 
So right away, you can tell by where he's releasing plays from that he's serious about it. But it's the tracking, the public tracking just in general, which includes closing line value, by the way, which a lot of people should be looking at, but they just get hung up on, is this person winning or losing, ignoring the fact that this person might be suffering from some bad variance here or, or some good variance based off of how their closing line value is looking. Um, like to me, that's an example of doing it right. And I'm not saying go out and buy his picks in general. I, I still believe that in the long run, you're, you're, most people would be better off if they just put the effort in into figuring out how to to beat these markets. Like, you know, I, I have a friend, um, I would call him a friend now, but he was like a Twitter acquaintance for a long while. His name is Jim Viviano on Twitter. Um, sorry, Jim, that I gave out your, your name, but it doesn't matter. Like, this is a guy that was just a regular working dude that's like 30 times this bankroll in three years just by like listening to information and listening to people talk on podcasts and watching videos and like just small easy wins and like i still think that's the best route forwards um but there's always going to be the people that don't want to do that and i completely get it you're too busy or something like that and, and what we're trying to do here is just really outline the people you should be avoiding uh versus the people that I mean, if you are uh, committed to buying picks that you might want to look at. So um, there's a few more red flags for me, um, Johnny in general. I mean, I would say that there's there's more than than just a few more. Um, but short term record keeping like that, that's one that that gets me right away. Uh, the promotion of short term records in the sense that, you know, you might see a capper say, I'm seven and zero in my last seven picks. I'm I'm twenty and one in my last twenty one NBA picks. No context. Again, you don't know if those are money lines, spreads, totals. You don't know what the closing line value was there. You have no um, long term record for this person. Just in general, again, there's so much variance in betting on sports that it could just be easily be a lucky run. Um, so right away, that's something that obviously, if you're a tout, that's what you want to promote because people are going to eat that up in general. Uh, but that, for me, as someone who would be buying picks, immediate red flag. Yeah, how about, that's a good one for sure, short-term record-keeping. How about people who uh, don't release what they bet on until after the games are over? That's a, a really big one on you know the newer social platforms, such as you know people selling picks on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter. They make it a little bit, um, a little bit easier to hide, to to not do that because you have to tweet and everything's timestamped. But even now with the fleets at the top of the page on the Instagram stories, it's so easy for people to promote different stories on Instagram that just show their record for the day. So they might have, you know, five and oh, five and one today. And they continue to promote those and they're always winning screenshots that are being promoted. So it's five and one, six and one, seven and oh today, seven, two. And then eventually, you know, they're getting people who are betting and, you know, losing a little bit and might have a bad day, come off a bad day. And they're like, you know what? I've seen this ad seven times now. This guy keeps winning. And in reality, you know, he's not winning. He's just promoting um, a different play, a different screenshot every single week or every single day. That's a, a winner. You don't have any like record to go on. You really, if you want to buy picks from a tote, you need to make sure that you're looking at that person's picks before the game starts. Uh, and then, you know, there's so many different things. Like I, if you're going to buy picks, you know, your first, like Rob said, you should definitely look to, you know, do the work yourself first, but I understand that there are reasons to do so. And the industry is always going to exist. And if you're going to do it, just make sure, you know, you're weeding out the people like that, 
uh, and not necessarily like, you know, just giving people money because you saw, you know, advertising and advertising campaigns. Yep. And, um, we, we, let's let's keep going here. This this is I like this conversation in general. It gets me fired up a little. <laughs> let's, rapid but, but, fire. Let's go. But like but so uh, this isn't some this is something you should be cautious of just in general. But there's a there's a very easy way to run a, a scam if you're a pick seller. Um, and this is very simple. Start a new Twitter account. Start a new Instagram account. Very small following. Publicly post your plays. Delete losers after the fact. No one ever knows unless somebody's screenshotting them or something along those lines, which no one's doing because the following is so small at first. If you just regularly post plays and delete losers after the fact, you can easily make it seem like you have a much better record than you do when you finally start to gain some traction. And this happens all the time. Like it's, it's the most common scam that's out there right now, in my opinion, I see it all the time on Twitter. I'm not a huge Instagram guy, but I know that that exists on Instagram as well. So be very cautious of the newer accounts. I mean, when you check a Twitter account, you can easily check the date in which they joined. And if I put myself into, if I try to get into the scumbag mindset, some people might already say I'm there, that I am a scumbag. They might not be wrong. But if I try to put myself into like, I'm trying to rip people off, that's like my course of action. I'm creating 40, 50 different Twitter accounts, each with different handles, posting play, four or five plays to them every day, going back after the fact, deleting a loser here and there to ultimately build up some sort of sample of a couple hundred plays where it looks like I'm you know, hitting through the roof. And you need to be very, very weary of that uh, because it's happening all over the place. Like honestly, the ima- I get followed by a new tout every single day. And I'm sure that, a lot of these are, uh, you know, duplicate accounts, same guys that are already following me just in general, but I see the join dates and like, it's common practice now. Like everybody is trying to, to, to capitalize on this rush into gaming and the amount of dollars that are in this space right now. So you're going to see a ton of these accounts pop up. I would never give money to anyone, uh, under those circumstances where it's short-term recency. Um, and it, it, it like they can easily mislead. Yeah, those are great points. I mean, take take a look at, at that for sure when you're when you're looking at people. Like, look at the join date, right? Because if they have they've come up quick, they're just as likely to you know fall just as quick. And and that's a that's a tough one. How about the people who, uh, you know, it's it's similar to what you mentioned earlier on people who give out picks without the odds attached, without the line attached. But I think one step worse than that is people who give out picks with stale odds attached. Oh, so man. yeah, what I mean by this is something like, um, you know, let's say you had Phoenix versus uh, Brooklyn and, you know, for example, line was painted globally at uh, Brooklyn minus six, for example, and then Durant's out. And then all of a sudden the lines now, let's say a pick them and you've got magically phoenix plus six and that was your bet that you got and you posted it six hours after durant was already out and you posted this right before the game this is an easy way to just like you know fudge your record without a lot of people knowing uh it's something that i mean if we're calling out people i don't even want to like i I called them out on twitter before but that guy greg patterson he or, or peterson i'm not sure how you pronounce it but he was essentially picking every single college basketball game. I think he's still doing it. His record, he's, he's up 7,000 units or 69,000 <laughs> units, but 
really it's, it's quite obvious as to what he's doing. He's just posting his picks before, you know, the tip off of the games and he's posting what is what's seemingly the best available line that was ever in market, including openers that were at Circa sports for five minutes, uh, under a red circle circles off baby. Circles uh, off. <laughs> and, and he's been, and he's been posting those and not posting any bet screenshots or anything like that. Like that's so easy to do. If you're going to just, you know, the market becomes way more efficient. So if you're going to just start off and always get the best number available in the marketplace, uh, you're, you're, you're going to win money guaranteed over a long enough sample size. And, and I mean, those things are just like, you know, crazy to me how people are falling for this, but even more, it's just like a scumbag move that you shouldn't be doing in terms of building a following. Well, I mean, I recently called out um, someone from the Action Network. I can't even remember who it was for stale live odds, right? And and somebody might say, um, well, I mean, Action Network's not really selling you anything, but like they kind of are. I mean, they're, they're trying to get you to the platform as much as possible um, so that you'll deposit with a, a, a sports book. And um, like, I, I, that's, I, I hate that stuff. Like, what what is what good is it for someone to post a a live line that is inaccessible to anyone else like impossible to get down on immediately get a notification with all my sports books open up in front of the screen and the line is nowhere close to what comes in like that is it's it's fraud like it's a plain and simple it is a scam to be able to do that that's why i do like your platform quite a bit johnny because at least the actual picks need to be stamped or, 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 I mean, they don't need to be, but at least if if for record tracking purposes, they need to be stamped. But, uh, like I, I agree with you. I mean, we see that all the time, right? Uh, I think just in general, if you're looking for someone who touts plays, they should always be posting the pick, the price, the sports book. It's very clear and easy to track that way. And you can go back after the fact and very easily verify the line history and say this line existed when someone posts. And um, to me, the touts that are doing it right in this space, there's not a lot of them. I'm not going to go through a list and name them, but that's what they're doing in general. This is the line, this team I'm betting or the side or whatever, this is the the line that I'm betting them. Some touts are good enough to say I would bet them up to this number. So for anyone who's late to the party or doesn't see it right away, can come in after the fact and say, okay, maybe I'm going to bet this, maybe I won't. And this is the sports book I bet it at. Um, at least it's verifiable at that point. Correct. Yeah, great points. And I'll, I'll kind of give a plug here to the BetStamp platform and a shout out to anybody who is selling their picks on the platform and doing so both honestly uh, and transparently. So what we set out to do at BetStamp, and it's a, it's one of, you know, a very small feature of many features that we offer on the app, but we allow anybody to buy and or sell picks directly off of the platform. And we take, we, we make zero money off that. We take zero commission. Uh, that's not the goal and that's never going to be the goal. What uh, we intend to do here is help clean up a lot of the stuff that Rob and I just talked about right now in terms of the, the tout discussion. And I mean, I can talk briefly about how it works is when you want to sell your picks on Betstamp, everything has to be stamped and verified. Like you mentioned, Rob at a specific odd set that is currently available. So if I'm buying picks from tout XYZ, uh, the only way that his picks are going to be able to be sent to me is if he tracked them at available odds 
indicated what sports book it was at um, and indicated what the line was. And that line, you know, I'm guaranteed is currently available at the very minimum at that sports book that he or she submitted it at. So when it goes to, you know, his or her record and I'm taking a look, I'm seeing only a verified record. You can't delete it after the fact, like some of the other apps. You can't change it. You can't delete screenshots, delete pics. There's no stale lines. You have to always include all of the information. Um, and from there, like it's a simple thing. It's not perfect. It doesn't clean up every single scam involved with everything tout wise. But in reality, like uh, this is, it's, it seems to be a small step. But in reality, like just cleaning up these few things eliminate, you know, 90% plus of the scams involved with selling picks and help save people a lot of money and a lot of, you know, hardship. I think the biggest um, challenge if, if you're a, a pick buyer is getting, I mean, in a lot of cases, you cannot get a verified record for who you're buying picks from. Like a lot of totes just do not keep track of their historical plays anywhere. And even if they do, you might visit that site and the, the record's been fudged, so to speak. Like I remember years ago, six, seven years ago, uh, when I was working at the score and I had a, a beef, I mean, common theme in my life just in general with the Twitter beefs, but with the Philly Godfather at the time, right? And I spent months tracking their their picks that they were posting on site. I mean, they were never available for one. It was, it was like Steam plays, right? The line had already moved. They were giving out the plays that... Uh, had already moved at different prices, but the the pick history was a joke. Like, first and foremost, stuff was getting deleted after the fact. They would throw stuff into the pick history that was posted on Twitter as like a free play or something like that. And if it won, it went into the record. If it lost, it was never counted into the record. So, the, as a pick buyer, you you want to be able to to research like comfortably research who you're buying from just like any under any other industry or any other service in general. And you know, you have review sites as an example, right? Where other people review this person and or so on and so forth. You can use that to help you inform your decision. But I think that's the biggest thing that I, I like about uh, the bet stamp stamp platform in general is just being able to actually filter the handicappers by like closing line value, short-term, long-term, what sports are they betting? Going through their actual verified plays because that just doesn't exist elsewhere, or at least where it does, you can't really trust it. Um, so that's kind of why I like what you guys are doing in general. Like you said, I, I don't think that, I mean, I don't think you can clean up all the garbage in the space, but it's it's a step in the right direction at least. And um, I mean, that's, that's all I can say. I mean, I, I don't want to do an info, infomercial for you here, Johnny, but I mean, I, I, I use your app every day. So I, I mean, uh, uh, if you are a pick buyer, at least you can do your due diligence and feel comfortable about who you're buying from. Yeah. You can also check uh, what time of the day the bets are placed because everything's timestamped. So that's a big deal as well for a guy like me to know is, uh, you know, was he betting or was he or she betting overnights or right before the game? It's just, you know, Anybody who, who bets and is listening to this right now, you get it. You understand kind of what, what the deal is. And, you know, let's, I guess we can end it here for now. But, uh, you know, if you, uh, if, if you are looking to buy picks, like we said, first and foremost, try elsewhere and try to do your thing, try to do your thing on your own. But if you want to, those are the things you can look for. And I guess that's all we can really give at this point. Yeah. I mean, and anyone can hit me up on Twitter at any time. And I'm, if, if they're, you know, if they have someone on their radar who they're not sure about, 
I'm very confident in my ability to pick out a, a scammer um, just by looking through their profile in general. Like the pinned, the pinned tweet from three weeks ago with a winner is like one of the dead giveaways right away as well. Like the, is the, it a the parlay winner or a regular straight? It, does, it doesn't matter, but whoever's pinning winner tweets, like they're obviously trying to sell you on something. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, we could honestly probably do another two hours on this. It would get very stale for people very quickly. So it's probably a good time to yeah. cut it off. But if you're selling picks and you're listening to this right now, and you feel you are being transparent and getting a fair, sh- uh, not a fair shake because of the way that the industry is shaped up, then we also invite you to sell through Betstamp. Uh, we help automate the process. We don't take any commission or anything like that. So last plug before we go is uh, if, if you do feel you've been given like an unfair shake because of how the industry is, then you know hit me up on Twitter. We'll be happy to get you set up and at least attach some sort of credibility and kudos to, you know, for doing it the right way, being a good person. Anything else, Rob, that we wanted to hit? I mean, uh, how was your Super Bowl? My Super Bowl was okay. You probably had a better Super Bowl than me. I, I'm, uh, man, I got so tilted by that guy posting the anthem time. Like, I, I was really, really tilted by that because every year you can kind of, with Super Bowl props in general, there's always some sort of steam that you can piggyback off of where you know that somebody knows something. I can piggyback off of this. Like an, there's outs that take way too long to to move their anthem times or move their Gatorade prop color odds or whatever it may be, right? Um, I mean, this happens in like other markets too, like the Golden Globes and stuff like that, where you see someone move from like plus 350 to minus 350 in the span of 10 minutes. And I mean, you can't bet a whole lot on, on that elsewhere, but you can pick off some stale numbers. So like for for that anthem guy to just public like just to ruin it for everyone because like then then he just gets canceled everywhere I, I don't I don't know what what he thought he was doing like I'm I'm so puzzled by this entire situation like I I I don't understand but um man that was so tilting and that kind of ruined the Super Bowl for me because I get down a lot on the anthem time every year it's I've posted some tickets in the past publicly before that I should probably delete because they've been some big numbers. Uh, but that's like a, a nice source of income for me every year that I, I didn't have. Um, so that kind of angered me. But uh, overall, I did fairly well. I, I didn't have a lot of props. I'm not I know you went uh, you were in Vegas, Johnny. You went jumping uh, from hopping from casino to casino. That's that's not really my thing. Um, but how, how did you end up doing overall? It was good. Game was good. Uh, you know, everything was okay. It's one of those weird games. We talked about this last week where, you know, you can, you can get down so much more than you can on a regular game. So you really have to be careful with, um, you know, your risk exposure and minimizing that. So I think based on the risk exposure that we wanted to take and the amount that we were able to get down, it was a good Super Bowl. Uh, but obviously when the game kind of goes like that and it's a, you know, nut under game, Mahomes doesn't even throw a touchdown pass. A lot of different things happen. Uh, you always wish, you know, it's damn should have got more, should have had more in play, should have had, you know, a higher ROI day, but you know, can't complain about winning money. It was a good year and a good way to close off the football season. That guy with the Anthem and I, um, I think he probably was just uh, not as experienced in the betting markets and in knowing that, you know, that that was going to cancel everything because he did kind of post it. I think, you know, not even with a malicious intent, it was more like, 
hey, here, betters, like I found something sweet that you guys can take advantage of, not knowing that. I mean, A, most people already had that. And B, you know, once you once that gets public info, books are going to void all over the place. Right. So like, I mean, he posts, he posted that two, two hours after I got my bets in, just in general. And after we started to see the offshores moving a little bit, um, based off of, I guess, early info or whatever. And lines so, off the board. It was gone everywhere by the time. Of course, by the time. Anyway. I, and I agree with you. I, I mean, I think that was just like a inexperience. He really had no idea what he was doing. He, I, I do think that he, in his heart, had like good intent and wanted to try to help people win money. So I completely get that. Like, and I feel bad for the guy that's getting like, there's some f- lunatics on Twitter that are like sending this guy death threats and like I, I like, I, I, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I I get why, but like some people really took it over the top in general. But then what really bothered me and aggravated me is like people coming to his defense and doubling down on like what he did, right? Like this guy's, you know, helping you. And and like there's this industry is filled. It's, It's literally littered now with people who have no idea what they are talking about. And have been thrust into the forefront in like a gambling media role that are absolutely clueless. It's embarrassing for one. And then to just like, I understand that there's friendships in this space and you, you want to come to the defense of someone you might consider your friend, but like have a, get a clue. Like Professor Plum called, he said, get a clue. I don't know if anyone's going to get that reference, but it's a, a friend of mine. Well, I certainly don't. <laughs> a friend of mine used to say that to me when we were younger. But yeah, I mean, that that was frustrating in general, but um, at least it was a, I mean, I hope it, I hope it doesn't ruin. I thought Darren Ravel ruined the anthems for us last year because Ravel, that clown goes out and posts like some sort of message about how he knew the anthem time. And then in a, in a like weird shocking like i don't even know what he was trying to get across in this message but it was something along the lines of he knew the anthem time but he didn't tell his friends about it because he wanted them to lose on it like what kind of person are you darren Ravel, for one but i remember seeing that tweet and everyone in like my inner community because we're all betting the anthem we're like oh my god this guy's gonna ruin the anthem for us next year we're not gonna be able to bet it and then this year came around and we're like, Oof, thank God we dodged a bullet with Ravel. And then this video comes out and now I'm like, are we even going to get Anthem props next year? Or are they just going to be like, like some sports books were taking a, literally a thousand dollars on the Anthem prop. And you like, I don't want to say that I don't have, I don't have multiple accounts at any sports book. Wink, 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 I guess. But like you could really get some money down, right? If you wanted to. Um, so we'll see next year. But it was interesting, at least. Um, just unfortunately, not not the way I wanted. Well, I, here's I, another way. Oh, sorry, Rob. No, I just I just hated getting the messages of like, yeah, sorry, bud. Like seventy five percent of our bets got canceled, and uh, oh well. So here's another way to find out to identify a fraud better or someone who bets for real is go to that guy's tweet about the anthem, about giving the timeout. Look through all the people who were really pissed about it. And then those are the people who bet for real. And then look through all the people who are saying, wow, amazing. Thanks so much for this info. And those are the people who, who don't bet. So there's your, there's another way. It's true. Hey, how, 
how about that guy who uh the fan i mean the story i don't know how how much validity there is to it but someone who allegedly bet he got down a cumulative i think it was 50k he said article was reported he got 50k down at bovada uh at plus 700 for a fan to run on the field and then uh he ran he, he ran on the field himself what do you think of that one i mean i 100 believe that so i, I was in i was took a very early stance on on that situation like the story is a little bit different though because at first it was like he got down fifty thousand in vegas i don't know whether he thought bovada's on the strip or something in vegas but it's not lv on the strip but um no like I, i i was responding to people right away saying i don't think that this is bullshit like I bet a lot of these weird markets around the Super Bowl, I know the limits that some sports books take. Some people are like, oh, it'd be impossible to get this kind of money down. Not like a like concerted group effort around getting down money on a prop. You could easily do it. And I mean, I, I know friends that are good, are, are traders for offshore sports books, good friends of mine. Super Bowl Sunday comes like, there's so much going on from a money perspective. I I mean, 50,000, while it seems like a lot, I mean, it's like a drop in the bucket to what a lot of sites are taking on a Super Bowl Sunday. So that can easily go unnoticed. And by the time it is noticed, like it's kind of too late. Or I mean, it, it's it's way easier than people think to get that type of money down is what I'm trying to get at. And on like the there's, Super Bowl. On the Super Bowl, there was so much commentary of like, there's no way, like you know who's accepting that type of money like as someone who bets the anthem every year in a short time frame i can tell you you can get down way more money than than people believe and it's like oh the line line would have moved on him it's like no that's not the way like someone has to (laughs) manually someone's manually moving that market and when you're a trader a props trader on super bowl sunday there's like a thousand markets you're handling so you're not going to see this in real time. Most people don't see this in real time. They don't see it till after the fact. So, yeah. Um, so the the max bets I think on that were, were would have been under a thousand per one account. But as referenced in the story, you had a lot of buddies and stuff that went down. It it, it makes sense that if you had a, a variety of offshore sports books um, and a variety of different friends or aliases to place bets under, you could have ellipsed that amount no problem in terms of the fifty grand. Uh, I would it would take probably about fifty five total bets, and that's without referring any money to a trader, right? So that's the other thing that doesn't really get factored in is people are looking at that max bet button, but not factoring in that. You know, I, I doubt that guy has a uh, a sharp graded Bovada account. And I mean, listen, may, he may, maybe a few of the people did, but I, for the most part, if he's willing to do kind of a stunt like that, in all likelihood, it's either a fresh new account or it's an account that's lifetime in the red. So to submit anything he had in the account and submit that to a trader on a prop that was fan on the field at plus 700, there's likelihood that the trader would have accepted, you know, a five dime, 10 dime bet on that anyways from, from a single account entirely possible i mean it's 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 well it's was definitely within the realm of possibility at the time when i first read the story and now i'm like i'm i mean i i don't know if bovada put out a statement or anything like that i think they put out a statement that they canceled all the bets yeah both sides which they're fully within their right to do so i mean with any sports book there's a term there's terms of service I've never encountered a sports book in the history of betting where multi-accounting is allowed or something along those lines. So fully within their rights, but I think that they saw that they I saw that they ended up 
um, refunding the the losers of that prop as well, saying that the kind of like the outcome was predetermined, which is a smart move on their end. They get some PR out of it, but just in general, I think it's a good move for the player uh, in general. But I mean, yeah, uh, that was, we always see kind of these stories where people act as as experts, I guess, in the matter of like, oh, it's impossible, like uh, this and that. There's no way he bet 50,000. I'm like, well, I mean, I think it's very, very possible. Um, I don't know. This th- That's just my take on it. I, I, I think th- people don't realize what you can get down in the sports world sometimes. From a single account? No, you can't. On one, right? then you yeah. can't. So that's, I think, if people were referring to that, then you're absolutely right. You could just look at the limits and infer there. But as to, to Rob's point, if there's a will, there's a way. And if you were going to do a stunt like that and you needed to get 50 grand down, um, I mean, you, yeah, absolutely, you could do it. Like, I, I, I honestly, me and, me and a group of a dozen friends, if we wanted to orchestrate that exact same thing, could easily do it. And we're at risk of getting the bets canceled. But like, I could sign up to an offshore sports book with multiple accounts if I wanted to get around that. I mean, there's there's ways around it just in general. I don't do that. I mean, I'm not committing fraud at sports books. It's not something that I, uh, <laughs> like, I'm not. But um, it, it wouldn't be that difficult to do so. I mean, now maybe there's going to be more attention around this stuff going forwards next year. And there that tends to be the case, right? Sports book becomes exposed to something. They're going to pay. Like, there's obviously some, anyone who got burned by that prop at a sports book, there's probably some inner discussions of how do we prevent this from happening in the future and then put new processes in place. That's, I mean, makes logical sense, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting Super Bowl week when we, we, uh, when we talk about those two, um, those two items. And then, you know, a couple weeks after the Super Bowl, I got Ben the better challenging me to, to handicapping competitions as well, which has made things extra spicy for me as well. <laughs> you going to go head to head with them? Uh, so like, what is there to possibly gain for me by having a head to head two? he's DMing me, he wants to have a two week handicapping competition. Like what, first of all, I have to point out that I, I am very private about what I bet for a reason. And you would know all these reasons, Johnny, just in general, but like, I do not want people to know what I am on. I like to keep my bets tight to the to the vest, to the chest, whatever. I think they both work. But like privacy is important to me for numerous reasons. Because it's very easy for someone to all of a sudden figure out what ac- my what accounts my bets are going through, either piggyback those, um get more money down themselves, hurt my market in general. So now I'm going to have a handicapping competition with Ben where all my picks become public. Everything like I'm betting because I, I want to win the competition. So I want to use my biggest edges, obviously. For for what? Like the loser donates uh, $100 to the other person's charity. I'll, I'll donate $1,000 to whatever charity I want to today. Like it doesn't like, I, I, what am I, what I don't understand like why I'm supposed to accept. Like Ben hits at like, literally worse than 40% over the course of a last year. And I'm going to potentially ruin my reputation in a, losing to him over the course of a two-week sample. I don't even know if it's going to be him making the picks. Like, what's stopping him from turning around and going to someone else and saying, like, I'm going to play. Give me your picks to play. So there's just like a million things. I, I thought about, like, 
counter offers of just having him like post his place to bet stamp for two weeks. If he turns a profit, I'll I'll donate to whatever charity he wants, which I'll still do anyways, because like that's probably the best counter offer in general. Um, it's kind of like a competition, I guess, of sorts, but I, I like anything I'm saying to you here sound out of line or, or like, uh, I, well, it's there's 20- a lot, there's a lot for, there's a lot for you to lose and pretty much nothing to gain. I mean, I'll be honest if you, I don't think you will, I don't think you would, but it's two week sample, right? So who, this guy can literally get hot for two weeks. It doesn't, it's, it's variance, right? Anybody could beat anybody over a two week sample, especially if it's what, what, what is he offering a pick a day? So 14 pick sample, there's pretty much nothing for you to lose. If you lost to Ben, the better if you're the laughing stock of Twitter forever. I mean, D- December of last year for NHL, I had like a minus 20% ROI. It was the worst month I've ever had in my life betting on sports or anything. And I had like some severely bad luck, but like that can happen. That can happen, and it's more likely to happen in a two-week stretch than it is over a one-month stretch. So, yeah, like I know, but but honestly though, that guy he just doesn't win. I don't. I he, just don't see him winning. Uh, that in, honest, all uh, variance aside, you know, like re- real talk aside, I, I just don't see the guy winning. Neither do I. I mean, that's that's so that's kind of why I, I countered with him going head to head against my tortoise, right? And I do like <laughs> some something where I like randomly pick a game put down a lettuce on a piece of lettuce on on both sides of the tank and you know see which way he goes or something along those lines or or some some mango he, he loves mango man that guy'll go go nuts for mango but like i'm i would i would lay i feel like i would lay lay like minus 120 on the tortoise just cuz he's coin flipping cuz i well, think the, the tortoise, tortoise is you, you actually coin flipping but like but we have a large enough sample on ben now to like, he should be coin flipping, right? Like that's the law. Ben should be coin flipping. Any recreational better, if they're betting like spreads, totals, it should be 50% over time. But this guy has like an uncanny ability to lose at an epic clip. I don't, I can't explain it. Like I thought for a long time that this is a sharp better who's posting the opposites of their plays. I really thought that for a long time. Ben is real for people who don't think he's real or for people who think that I'm Ben. I can assure you I'm not Ben. I know his name. I know where he lives. He is a real person. Not going to tell you how I know these things. That picture you've seen of him before that he's posted, that's him. It's a real guy. Exists. This is unbelievable that someone could lose at this clip, a real human. And that's why, like, yeah, I think I'd lay that price with the tortoise, man. I, I really do. I think any random, like anything that's coin flipping. He just gets the worst prices also on anything he bets. It, it, I mean, listen, I, I think at the end of the day, like it's a coin flip. The tortoise is a coin flip. I'd, I'd book that at even odds. But I mean, yeah, who, who knows? That, that would be, you know, that would be a cool challenge. But again, for Ben, the better, like, I don't mean to poke fun or anything. Like, I don't, I don't think he would want to, you know, do a handicap, handicapping uh, contest against Rob Pizzola's tortoise, Tortellini. Oh, he, he'll do it. He, he's already DM'd me that, that I think he'll go head to head with the tortoise. So I think that's what so we're going to do. If he beats the tortoise and then he beats your dog, then you yeah. got to go head to head with him. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> This is so dumb. Like, 
I found myself in this situation that is is the dumbest. Like I, because there's no winning, right? Like if if I don't take this stupid offer, it's like I'm dodging him. Like I people, most people know I'm not dodging. I'm, but like, but you I are have, though. You are dodging because there's so much to lose. Exactly. Like who 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 would take the like? What is in it for me? What do I get out of? Like what am I getting? No, nothing. And if if you beat him, everyone's just gonna say, "Oh, congrats! You beat Ben the better." You could have beat him without. You could have just made zero picks, and he would have lost money, and you would have beat him zero to negative. Exactly. Like I'm in a, in a situation that is now a no win just because this guy decided to tag me in a tweet. Like there's nothing I can do. I already got the Ben loser army after me. Like, oh, you're dodging him. Like you need. He's scared of you and whatever. And it's like. Oh my god, like I for I don't have the time to deal with this. Like I don't have the time. I'm I, I would kill for an, more hours in the day. And instead I'm worrying about tweeting some random goof like in a in a handicapping competition. And I guess I'm to blame for this, for calling him out on Twitter in the past. Like I should have never I should have just let him be. Cause like I was definitely the first name that came into his head and like, Oh, but I've, said, I'm, I've decided I've decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> like I, but Tortellini's going to take him down. Tortellini, the coin flipping tortoise is going to take down Ben. That's the way we're going. That's the route we're going to go. And, uh, I'll, I'll do like a two to one. I'll, I'll donate double whatever Ben is willing to donate to my chair. I'll donate five times, whatever he's going to donate to my chair. I don't even know if Ben has any money. This is like, this is a thing. Like if, if we could make this, a a an amount of money that would get my juices flowing, I'd be very interested in this because I have a huge edge, but the problem is I could never guarantee now. Like I know that Ben has no money. The guy's begging for like Bitcoin tips on his Twitter, right? Like, I, I don't mean, I, I, I'm sorry to come across as like, I, I'm coming across like a real ass right now. I, I don't mean to, but like, I I know that he he's he's not wealthy and like he's, he's a younger guy. Like he's just video gamer and he's doing what he can. And if he were to agree to like a, uh, you know, like a $10,000 competition or something like that. I know it's not him that's making the the plays. He's getting them from somewhere else. So now I'm not even in the, in the, like the, you know, I'm not operating within the constraints of the competition anymore. So there's no way I can make this work for me. Like there's, abs- uh, do you, do you disagree with me? Like, is there no, something no, that there's, you- there's no way it works. The only way is it, it's just for entertainment value. You gotta, he's gotta take down Tortellini. He's gotta take down your dog. And then if he does that, you got to grant him his respect though. If he goes, if he goes two and O, you got to grant him his respect and give him a challenge. If he goes two and O against animals, then I have to give him a challenge. Like, listen to what you're saying right now. You know me, you, you okay, know me we well enough. Then he can't, then he can't face, then he can't face your tortoise. You got to give him, give him like a path to get there. If he can get, if you can give him a path, say, okay, Ben, listen, if you have a winning month, I'll do it. Or if you have, he's probably making some good money on his Patreon now too. He's got a lot of subscribers. Yes. Ben has a real business. Ben has to embrace that. He is a horrible better. Like he, people will buy his picks just to purely fade him. I'm not joking. I have friends that do this. This is not a a, a joke. Everyone knows that. 
I would, I would never advise this. Like, I won't. I don't even know if I should advise this to, uh, but you have to wonder what, like, what is at play here for someone to go 40%, less than 40%, by the way. We, we, we did the record keeping recently over an entire year. It's, it's almost impossible. Uh, I mean, anyways. I don't I don't know I don't know what to do. I'm going to I have to give this more thought because like this is so dumb. It's the dumb I I've been dragged into this these stupid things before. I always get dragged into these competitions. Like and what am I what do I get out of it? Like I don't get I want someone wealthy like and I want a long-term competition. That's what I need. A wealthy square in a long-term competition. If I could go head-to-head with Spread Investor over the course of, like, a year with a minimum of, like, 500 plays, name the amount. (laughs) You you know what I'm saying? Like, but, like, but two weeks, everything to lose on my end for a $100 donation to my chair. It's not that I don't want, you know, Diabetes Canada to have money. I'll, I'll donate the money. I don't care. I don't care about that. Yeah, it's a lot to lose. We get it. It's okay, Rob. Um, you're not scared of him, but we, we it is what it is. I, I kind of am, though. Like you would, even if you're like Billy Walters, would be kind of even slightly scared because 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 yeah, it, 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 everything is at stake for you. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I will never be able to live that down. Never. So I'm, no I'm not going to lie. The, yeah, you're right. Because you you basically be laying like a hundred thousand, right? And and then it's like. Can I beat this guy in a two-week challenge? Because you're you're laying so much to win nothing. Well, I mean, we've talked about this a lot already, but yes, like I I am scared. Like I'm I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm not scared. I am 100% scared that I could potentially that he could catch lightning in a bottle and have a great two weeks, or that I could have a poor two weeks. And the worst part about it is that, like, if I lost to Ben in two weeks. And it was you, Johnny, like, I know that you would just know it's just variance, right? You'd be like, well, you know, you got unlucky and whatever, but 90% of gamblers, like sports bettors, they don't think like that. They're not going to say, oh, it was, you know, you just got unlucky and you lost and it was some bad variance. I'm going to get buried for like, what? what, what? (laughs) Anyways, we can, we can end on that. I mean, uh, I'm going to have to mull this over a little bit because I can't believe he dragged me into it. All right. Like a p- power let's move end on back. this. Let's, let's end on this. Uh, thank you for listening to circles off at odds, new name coming. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but uh, we appreciate you guys listening and uh, we'll see you next week.